I love it. I love hearing the kids. Uh, again, my name is Nathan Harris. In case you don't know who I am, I'm the lead pastor here at Celebration Center. I'm so glad that you all could be here today. We are um, going to be wrapping up our Christmas series today called The Hope of Christmas. Here's the big idea we've been working off. Because of the birth of Jesus, we have hope. Because of the birth of Jesus, something that has happened, something that has happened not just around us, but to us and for us, because of the birth of Jesus, we have, we have hope. And we've been looking at this hope we have through the lens of Mary's song, known as the Magnificat. This is a, a song that it has been very, it's been revolutionary for a lot of people. As a matter of fact, uh, a little while ago, I let you guys know that there have been at least three countries in the history of the world who have banned this song from being read or sung because they are afraid that the disenfranchised are going to rise up, that they're going to do something about their, their situation. And they, and they said, no, you can't, you can't sing this in church. You can't, you can't read this one. And in it, we hear Mary, this teenager, exploding in wonder and praise to God for all he was doing. So we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. I'm reading out of the NIV. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and turn there. Uh, if not, that's okay. The words are going to be up on the screen. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said... My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. In this song that Mary sang as a teenager, and you can kind of hear some of the themes in here and understand why maybe some people who are in power don't want this sung and, and reflected upon. But within this song, we encounter the God who goes and does battle for people who can't do anything for themselves. Have you ever had somebody in your life who's done that for you, who's gone to bat for you, so to speak. Maybe they've stood up for you when somebody else was, was tearing you down. Maybe they brought something good to you when others were trying to take away. That's kind of what God is like, according to Mary here. He's... He, he is doing for us what he did for Israel when he bared his arm and he rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them out with justice and mercy. 
This is the gospel, you guys. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the good news that God is making all things new, fulfilling his promises and ruling the world in justice. And that's what Christmas is all about. God is doing something. God is making things new. And the hope that's held out for us in the birth of Jesus is is a living hope that doesn't disappoint or fade because it's based on what God has done. It's something that he has already accomplished through fulfilling his promises. So how do we live in this hope? How do we live in it? The first week uh, in this series, we looked at To live in the hope of Christmas is to celebrate God. And we celebrate, the pathway to celebrating God is to remember, remember who we were, not for purposes of kicking ourselves or or beating ourselves up or anything like that, but remembering who we were and what God has done. And then from there, going forward, looking forward into what God will do and who we are becoming. And out of that, celebrating this God who brings his rescue to us. So that was the first thing. To to live in the hope of Christmas is to celebrate God. The second thing we looked at was to live in the hope of Christmas is to expect God. To expect God. Not, Not because he owes us anything, right? But we expect good things from him because of who he is. Who we see that he is. We do this by embracing our circumstances and our weaknesses and then trusting through prayer and pursuing Jesus. We, we expect God to act as he is. The third thing we looked at last week was to live in hope of Christmas is to worship God by being available and staying the course we worship him. And if you missed any of those messages, I encourage you go to our, uh, our website, ccpwallop.com, click on the sermon podcast link, and you can listen to those messages there. This week, we're going to talk about being present. Being present. Being a present, I guess you might say. Here's our main thing for this morning. If you're taking notes on your outline, you can fill this in. Our main thing is to live in hope is to be present. To live in hope is to be present. I use this story, oh, I don't know, it's been probably a couple of months ago, but I'm going to use it again because I think it, it perfectly illustrates my point here. Uh, I was in the Boy Scouts uh, for a little while, and um, I remember, I think it was one of my very first outings, my first scout outings I went on. My dad was a leader. He went with us. He wasn't the leader, but he was one of the, the parent leaders that, that came along with us. And the, and the leaders were all instructed, do not interfere with the boys. You cannot do anything. You cannot help them. They've got to kind of figure things out. Obviously, if somebody's dead or dying or bleeding out or whatever, yes, step in at that point. But by and large, just leave the boys alone. Let them figure it out. Well, the, the senior Boy Scouts in my troop had come up with this brilliant idea that we would make our tent out of a tarp. And that was pretty much it. Okay, and this was April in western Oregon, which is not as rainy as here, but it is fairly rainy. Okay, so you can imagine the ground was pretty wet. All right, the rain was continuing to come down. And then my, my leaders, my, my Boy Scout, the, the other leaders or the boys 
in the troop, they, the older guys, they all said, you know what? I got dibs on the middle. We get the inside of this wonderful, glorious tent that we have thought up. Okay, so all of us younger guys got to sleep on the outside edge of the tent. Now, mind you, there's no walls. It's just a tarp, okay? And I moved a little bit in my sleep, and about half of me ended up outside of the tent in the rain. And I was soaking wet, and it was miserable. It was horrible. Remember how I said that the leaders weren't allowed to do anything for us? Well, my dad he sees me in my misery and he has pity on me. And he brings me to our van. He puts my soaking socks up on the dashboard. I wrapped myself in a blanket and my pants, I think, were up on the dashboard as well. And he just turned that sucker on, cranked up the heat and let it, let it go. They never completely dried out. But you know what? That was so encouraging to me. You know why? My dad entered into my circumstances. Somebody said, you can't do that. And my dad said, watch me. That's what I mean by being present. Taking notice and entering into the circumstances around us, encouraging others, and redeeming, yes, redeeming the situations we encounter as we become the hope we have because of what God has done. This is exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. John, we're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 14. We'll skip down then to 16 through 18. Words will be up on the screen if you want to follow along. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, The Word became flesh. That is, he changed his mode of existence. He set aside his eternity, his being, and, and he became, he took on being a human. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In other words, he the word there is he tabernacled. You think of uh, Israel wandering around in the wilderness and they had the tabernacle. Okay, this was the tent where God would come down and his presence would rest. That's the idea here. Only it isn't a tent. It's not something that's movable in terms of setting it up and tearing it down. It is a person. He pitched his tent in our midst. He made his home in our neighborhood. He came to be with us. We have seen his glory, glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Skip down to verse 16. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Really quick here. John is not saying that, that Jesus and the law are set at odds with each other. 
The giving of the law was a very gracious thing that God, it was one of the most gracious things that God could do. He was establishing a relationship with his people. This was a very gracious thing. What John is saying is that the grace we have now received in the word becoming flesh far outstrips that grace. Because now we don't just have the law, we've got God face to face. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. We sing about this every Christmas singing, uh, season when we sing the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. There's a line in there. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man, with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Jesus, God with us, pleased to be with us. He wanted to enter our situations, not just our situation to collectively, but individually as well. He enters into our situations. And with as with all blessings we are given, guess what we get to do with this particular blessing? We get to give it away. That's the pattern of being blessed in the Bible. It's always in order to be a blessing, to be a conduit. God wants us to give away what he has given to us. To live in hope is to be present, present to the people and the situations around us just as Jesus became present to us. So how do we live present? How do we live that way? If you're taking notes, number one on your outline, to be present, we must be aware of our surroundings. To be present, we must be aware of our surroundings. Have you ever heard the, the saying, they're, they're a, uh, so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? It's an older one. Some of you may not have heard that before. But the message in it is that they're so focused, somebody can be so focused on the otherworldly things that they forget what's happening right all around them. Become completely useless to the people and the situations around them. James, the brother of Jesus, addressed this in James chapter 2, verse 14. He said, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no Deeds, can such faith save them? You see, the situation James was addressing was that there was a lack of genuine concern for other believers within a particular church, okay? And so what that looked like was that the rich were not taking care of the poor. There was no love being given, okay? And James is addressing this head on. He says, what good is it? What what good is a faith that doesn't have actions. He's not talking about earning God's love. He's not talking about uh, uh, earning a place with God or, or anything like that. He's simply saying, you, your faith is ineffectual. It hasn't amounted to anything unless you are walking in love. Be aware of your surroundings, he says. I remember there was a time my, my daughter Abigail was, she goes full throttle. I, she, there's no real slow speed when she's going. She's just full on. 
And I remember one time we were at a park setting and there were some other kids around and she's playing hard with them, having a lot of fun. They're playing chase and tag and all that kind of a thing. At one point, she is so into this game, she's looking behind her as she starts running full throttle forward. She turned and looked forward just in time to smack right into the back of that metal bench. (laughs) Immediately, this giant goose egg, and I was so happy there were a lot of other parents around because it meant there was no question as to what actually took place in my daughter's life at this moment. It's like, man, kid, you're scaring me here. You guys, that's what happens when we are not aware of our surroundings. It, it may not result in an actual goose egg on our forehead, but what we're going to encounter are alienated relationships with people, with unbelieving friends and neighbors. As we are insensitive or just ignorant of their plights and their problems. We are aware of our surroundings when we listen. We listen to people. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody? You're bearing bearing your soul to them. And then all of a sudden, they're just off and moving to something else. Did they really hear you? No, they didn't, did they? We need to be people who hear. We need to open our ears and we need to listen and then enter into our surroundings by identifying with people. Yes, even people who are starkly different from us. Even people who have different religious views than us. Yeah, I said that. We we. We empathize with them. We identify with them because we are human beings next to them. Different political views, different stances on whatever issues you can think of. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I didn't line up 100% with God before he came and entered my circumstances. We don't have to be in agreement with somebody in order to enter into their circumstances. We just have to listen and love. That's it. That's all there is to it. (laughs) This requires that we drop our barriers. We have to make people more important than issues. We have to empathize with those around us and, and take time to find our points of connection because there's lots of them. If they're a human being, there's a lot of connection, okay? This is what Jesus did when he became human and pitched his tent among us. This is how we get to move into others' neighborhoods. As people who have received and benefited from the hope we've been given through Christmas, we need to live present. We need to live aware. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, to be present, we must do something. To be present, we must do something. Remember, James said, what good is it to have a faith that doesn't result in action? Okay, so we are called 
to be active people, to do something. But that doesn't mean that we just do anything. I remember a time uh, I was, oh, I don't remember exactly how old I was. I was living in my parents' house, and I have three younger brothers. And so as the oldest, I, uh, maybe some of you can identify with this, but there, you got younger brothers and sisters. You know what, where I'm coming from. My brother Joel was doing something. I don't even remember what it was, but it, it was really annoying. I think he was just kind of taunting me or something like that, and I'd had enough. I was done. So you know what I did? I went to my mom and dad and I said, Mom, Dad, Joel's bugging me. He's, do, he's doing whatever it was he was doing. And I remember very distinctly my mom said, well, take care of it. You do something. It's like, okay. So I turn around and march into my bedroom and I punched him. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't exactly right. That wasn't what mom had in mind. But she told me to do something. So I did. I did something. You guys, we are called, and being called to do something, we're not called to do any, just anything, okay? <laughs> All right? We're not called to be reactive, okay? We're not called to belittle or, or anything like that. We are called to be purposeful. We're called to live in love. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Paul says this. For each of us, excuse me, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. In other words, the hand does something different than the foot does, okay? But they're all still part of the same thing. Verse 5, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In other words, we're for the benefit of one another. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So in other words, God has purposed that each of us has a different job. We do, we each do something different. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it uh, diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Are you seeing a pattern here? If you've been given something, do it. If God has made you in a particular way, do it for the benefit of those around you. I don't see anything in here about being concerned about whether or not somebody else is doing this. I just see Paul saying, hey, you guys, do it, do life this way. Use your gifts and talents in concert with each other. Do something on purpose, Paul says. Awareness of our gifts and talents comes as we are engaged in relationship with Jesus and each other. As we experience life in Jesus we become aware of how we've been created and purposed to live within the community. And then from there, we're able to reach out of the community and into our greater community. As we do this, we learn that life is not all about us. <gasps> what? You're kidding me. 
I have to learn that lesson every day. It's not about me. All right? When we do this all together, we bring a redeeming effect into the world around us. Just as Jesus is the Word become flesh, so now we carry on the Word become flesh in the world around us. Jesus is the incarnation. We are, that's what we're celebrating. God has become flesh. God has made himself known. Jesus is that incarnation. When we see the face of Jesus, we are seeing God himself. Guess what? We are now that incarnation. You and me. We are that incarnation. We are God in the flesh, so to speak. Not me by myself, us together. We are God in the flesh to and for the world around us. Intended to bring God's love, his redemption, his mercy, his grace. Wherever we go, whatever we do. And the only way we can live this out is to be present. Be present. Because of Christmas, we have hope. Not because of what we've done, not because of what I've done, but because God has chosen to love us. And because we have this hope, we get to express our faith by becoming hope and being present to the people and the circumstances around us. What effect could you have on your family if you lived this way this season? I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt anybody. Because I don't do this perfectly either, okay? But as we move into this, as we move into being present, what kind of effect could we each have in our own family? By living this way, what effect could Celebration Center have in South Hill? If together we focused on being present, not because of us, but because of him. What could we do? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for becoming present to us. Thank you for entering into our situations, into our circumstances, and not requiring us to become like you before you would do it. Thank you for your mercy. God, I pray this season that we would be encouraged, that we would be empowered, that we would be challenged to live that kind of love to the world around us, to be your presence in the middle of our workplaces, to be your presence in our family, to be our presence in, in the current uh, uh, political upheaval that we're, we're experiencing here in our own nation. Everywhere we go, God, let us be your presence. Be present in us so that we can be present to the world, God. Let us live that way. Let your presence 
fill us with joy, with peace. And let us live that out, I pray, God. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Help us to be reminded of this as we celebrate Christmas. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.